WRVL has had one of the most iconic faces in TV. Phil Scoggins has been at the station and been a gold standard pretty much, whether it be in no matter what department, whatever he, whatever he is at, Phil brings his best, and we're lucky to have one of the best join us on this podcast. Right, Jack? Do you need me to tell you any more? Episode 21 of On Your Sidelines is next. When the final buzzer sounds, the game is over, but their story isn't. Time to hang out on the sidelines and learn the real stories of these sports icons. Welcome to the On Your Sidelines podcast with the News 3 sports team. Well, bringing in everybody, welcome to the On Your Sidelines podcast and happy holidays to you and yours. I'm sports director Rex Castillo, joined by weekend sports anchor Jack Patterson. Guys, welcome to episode 21, and that number means a whole lot. We'll get into that later with our next guest. But before we get to our next guest, time for that t-shirt check. And it's, well, it's a holiday-themed one, right, Jack? Absolutely. We decided since it's so close to the holidays that we get in the spirit as well. So we take a short departure from normally recognizing our local teams to wearing some of our favorite holiday shirts. So I am rocking my Randy Orton out of nowhere shirt, which (laughs) if you know me, you know, I'm a diehard wrestling fan. So is is my co-host and you know, Randy Orton's out of nowhere meme has been just absolutely fantastic for years at this point. Still gold. And, you know, I've had this shirt for a little bit, but it's still one of my all-time favorite shirts because out of nowhere with him doing the RKO, his finishing move on a snowman Love it. just seems right. Always, always one of my favorite ones that they put out. Uh, for myself, Star Wars, uh, yes, a little bit of a Star Wars nerd myself, so having Yoda on there mm-hmm. is perfect. <laughs> see, see, you weren't ready for that. <laughs> But it is uh, one of my favorite Star Wars characters, and I always have to watch at least one Star Wars movie around the holidays. Enough about us. Time to get to our guest. Number 21 in our programs, but number one in your hearts, WRBL news anchor Phil Scoggins. Thank that you so much for joining That just happened to be my high school football number, and very close to my heart, number 21. So I'm honored to be here with you two guys. <laughs> I, I watch y'all. In the studio, I watch you behind the scenes. There's not two harder working journalists in the building and, and not in, in Columbus as far as I'm concerned. You cover it like a blanket, and I'm honored to be in the studio with y'all when it comes sports time. Uh, Jack, we're walking off that. that that's yeah, we're walking I'm off with that. I'm, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can retire happy now. <laughs> Phil, but thank you. That again. is incredible. First of all, thank you so much for the compliment. That This hard work doesn't happen without your mentorship, which you have been so generous for. So thank you so much for that. Uh, but to get right into it, you have also been one of the diehard sports fans. And, in, and before you took the news anchor chair, you were a sports anchor as well. When did the love for uh, for sports, you mentioned that you played football in high school as well. It probably started with my parents because my dad played football and actually ran some track and played baseball. So he was like a three-sport uh, letterman in high school. My wow. mom played basketball. So sports was always huge in our family growing up. Uh, my grandmother lived two blocks from the city pool in my hometown of Lafayette, Georgia. Lafayette's a, maybe 6,000 in population. Mm-hmm. Up in the northwest corner, it's called the Queen City of the Highlands, a beautiful location. If you get on US 27 and drive north toward Chattanooga, you'll drive right through it. <laughs> I was just there uh, visiting my dad over the weekend, and uh, I always love going home. But those memories of my my childhood, for the most part, centered around the earlier years, the swimming pool. And so swimming eventually became a part of my life uh, as I um, grew up and, and had an opportunity to 
you know, go to the University of Georgia. And because of the time that I spent in the pool when I was young, I thought, well, when I got to Georgia and I thought I was a good swimmer, <laughs> you <know>, right, <laughs> that I would walk on. And it was a Saturday morning. It was the day of a Georgia football game. And it, I scratched my head at that because I thought, who in their right mind would practice on the day of a football game? <laughs> <laughs> but Priorities I, I went to the old Stegman pool. Pete Scholey was the head swim coach, and this would have been 1970, the, the fall of 1970, my freshman year. And um, so I got in the pool, and, and the coach said, go for it, Phil. You know, we're glad to have you. Jump in. Let me see what you got. I hadn't practiced swimming <laughs> since, you know, for four or five years probably. And, again, I just thought, well, it's like riding a bike. Anybody can do it. And after about 10 laps, and, I mean, I was huffing and smoking, just blowing and, and crawled out of the pool and, and mercilessly crawled over to the coach. And I said, I'm so sorry. I've made, <laughs> I made a huge mistake. And he was very gentle and, and, and kind. And he said, Phil, you know, don't worry about it. But c clearly he had recruited all over the country, had top-class swimmers. So, I, I snuck out of Stegman and tried to forget that situation. And then come springtime, I was taking a, a PE class in swimming, intermediate swimming, and I would go practice on the diving boards um, when the when the session was over. And the diving coach for Georgia, um, Gary Shelt was his name. He could see through the, the big plate glass window out over the pool, and, and he spotted me, and he came over after in the, my spring of my uh, freshman year and said, you know, it looks like you're comfortable on the diving board. That goes back to my earlier days at the diving board in, in, at my hometown pool. And he said, why don't you do this, Phil? Go home this summer, find you a, a Duraflex board that will help you f understand how a fulcrum works and get accustomed to the balance that it requires for diving. So I did. I went to U University of Tennessee at Chattanooga that summer and practiced there and then came back in the fall and walked on as a diver rather than a swimmer. Wow. And from there, Gary Schelt, he took me under his wing, taught me I needed to learn a minimum of 11 dives in order to be able to compete. And between September and December, uh, he taught me those 11 dives. And so I was the number three diver. I wasn't very good, uh, never was, but um, that opened the door for me to, to get involved with some guys that relation, a relationship, a special one exists today that started back then. Jack Bowerly was uh, a teammate of mine back in the, the early seventies on the Georgia swim team. He was a butterfly specialist. Jack Bowerly is the Georgia head swim coach today. He's Look won that. seven national championships. And as y'all recall, back earlier in the summer, yep. I made the trip to Athens and did a story with him. Now yeah, this is did. like 45 years after the fact but went back and sat down with my teammate and he took uh, seven of his uh, former Georgia swimming uh, athletes with him to Tokyo for the summer games this past summer. So anyway, my, uh, my experience in, in sports, although I played high school football, swimming sort of took the dominating role as I got into college. And it was all because when I was a, a little boy, my grandmother would take me to the pool, pay a dime a day for them to teach me swim lessons. Wow. So I owe my grandmother <laughs> a lot. She got you she got you your ride to Georgia at that point. Absolutely. Incredible. She, I, I, I credit it 
uh, all to her. A dime a day, too. Imagine <clears throat> those prices these days. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at, while at UGA, that's kind of when you started getting involved with the media. I know your background started in radio, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, by the time I got to my senior year, um, there was a guy in, in the journalism uh, department that uh, he had a position at a local radio station. He was getting ready to graduate. And it was a night news gig for about three hours a night. You just did uh, radio headlines, local headlines after the national newscast at the top of the hour. So Joe Corson was his name. And Joe said, uh, I'm going to be graduating in December. This slot's open. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. What's What's interesting about that is the radio station was WRFC. It was an AM 960 on the AM dial. They were the flagship station for Georgia football. No kidding. Wow. And when I was a freshman wanting to get into broadcasting, I would sit in my dorm room in the corner uh, and pretend to be a DJ and play music and do sports and do radio and do weather and pretend to be working for WRFC. You fast forward to my senior year. I actually got that opportunity, went and did the interview. Would you believe that the general sales manager for that radio station was from my hometown? No kidding. And was <laughs> small world. a friend of my aunt's. Wow. And so I sort of had an inside track right. yeah. to that job. And so that was my senior year from like January till the time that I graduated. So I'm doing night news, um, uh, working on you know, finishing up my broadcast news um, sequence there at Georgia. And then about two weeks before I graduated, the sports director, his name was Chris Jones, he got engaged and was moving out of town literally right before I was getting ready to graduate. So um, because I had been on the swim team and I had gotten to know the sports information staff at Georgia, um, I figured – and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do sports and going through the journalism program. My, my ultimate goal was TV sports, but radio's fine. So applied for the job and they took a gamble. I wasn't, I was 21 years old. Wow. And got a job as a sports director for the radio station that uh, was the home of the Georgia football Bulldogs and basketball team. And, and I held it for two years, and I, you know, and I will say it, even though I'm sitting here and I've worked here all these years, it's the best job in broadcasting <laughs> I ever had. Wow. <laughs> I was in the booth with Larry Munson. I didn't get to be on the air with him, but I was standing in the back of the booth watching him do his thing. The only connection I had to the broadcast whatsoever, I would get on the phone with our engineer back at the, the station the uh, <clears throat> United Press International Wire would be chinging along in the newsroom. He would rip the uh, scores, call them into me, and I would scribble them down and hand them to uh, the spotters, and they would get them to Munson so that they could keep up with the other SEC games that were going on on a Saturday afternoon. Then I got to go back to the station with about – the station was just a few blocks from Sanford Stadium. I could be there in 10 minutes. So with, a, with about five minutes to go in the game, I would uh, zip up to the station, and the engineers, back in those days, you recorded the games on reel-to-reel audio tape. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> they would put a piece of a yellow paper at every 
time Georgia scored, that would mark where the Georgia scores were on these four tapes. And so I'd zip back to the station, put the highlights together from the game, and then do a several-hour sports, uh, mainly scores, and then play back the highlights from the Georgia football game as people were leaving Athens, driving back home. I got paid to do that. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And, I, and feet, away from, feet away from Larry Munson, too. That, <laughs> that's crazy. You got to see a legend at work. It, it, was, um, it was a dream, but, I, I mean, we just at home. Here we are. I've got, got my Christmas tie on, guys. <laughs> Y'all got y'all's red and green going. I, I have on my uh, – It's one of the best ties in the, in the station. My, right? yeah. my 12 days of Christmas tie. There it is. There Beautiful. We there we go. <laughs> um, but we just recently watched It's a Wonderful Life. And, Great movie. and Great. I will tell you, it's my favorite Christmas movie, but it also describes my life. A, it's been a wonderfully blessed life because uh, just the sequencing of how everything has fallen into place, you know, in, in broadcasting to start my career that way in radio with an icon like Larry Munson and, and to be able to, you know, use, um, what I had been taught to do at Georgia to, to put the highlights together and then to be able to play those back and excite people all over again as they were rethinking. And back in those days, Georgia, you know, we, we weren't setting the fields on fire between the hedges, <laughs> but there were plenty of good highlights. And, and that would have been from 1974 to 76, that, that two-year window. So, of course, Vince Dooley was a head coach. I was about to say, so with Vince Dooley on the head, uh, as the head coach, leading the dogs on the sidelines, but to be feet away from Larry Munson, what was it like seeing him work? And what did you learn from Larry? Like, what did you take away from just observing the way he worked? Just a master at, and I don't, I, you know, you, I've even wondered this in my mind. Did, did he think up things like uh, we kicked him in the nose with a hobnail boot? <laughs> did that just roll off his tongue in the inspiration of the moment in that Tennessee game, or at some point did he jot that down and say, I, I want to use that at some point. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I just know that, um, and, and don't get me wrong, Scott Howard, he's, he's in his own right. He's, he's a great play-by-play, but God bless him. He followed Larry Monson. That's and, a tough act. That is a hard, <laughs> hard thing to do. And so my um, – my memories of watching Larry basically from behind, because like I said, I was in the back of the booth. But one of the things that, um, and y'all can appreciate this, is the orchestration that takes place in being able, the, the two spotters, Louis Phillips, Dick Payne and Louis Phillips were his spotters on each side of him. And, and the choreography of how they would let Larry know who who that was in on the tackle, who made the interception, especially the opposing team, since he, he would not be as familiar with them. But uh, ju- just to see, uh, the, in fact, the board that they used, the design of the board for those two teams and how they would flip them and have one on one side, one on the – it was – you could have done a really cool sports story on how do you lay out – in, in thinking through the process of how to call a game accurately uh, to get all the numbers right, uh, you know, all of the uh, – when they're sending in substitutions, especially in the fourth quarter, yeah. you know, how do you keep up with all that with those guys? They had a system, and those two names, Larry, um, uh, Lou Phillips and, and Dick Payne, uh, 
they didn't get a whole lot of mention, but there is a, an iconic picture of them in the booth. It's a black and white from probably back in the eighties. And, and those guys are sitting side by side on either side of Munson. And he, he would tell you, he couldn't do what he did if he didn't have uh, his crucial spotters on at either elbow. It was, it was a, just a, a, a thing of beauty to, to listen to and watch unfold in the booth. It was amazing. It, it sounds incredible. <laughs> like just envisioning, you know, how you're describing everything and be able to work with, you know, professionals at the top of their game is incredible. One thing was that was cool back at, I, I was at the station. It was an away game. It was the Georgia Florida game. I didn't go on the away games because I had to be there to do the post show and right. the scoreboards, you know, after the game. So somebody called from, it was either Colorado or Washington State, way out on, you know, the West Coast, and they knew based on the time when, when the kickoff was, they called in the fourth quarter. And they said, and of course, back in those days, guys, there was an internet. I mean, there right. was no way to listen to the ball game. Mm -hmm. And you knew it was going on. And so what they would do, it, he, he said, he, he begged me, he said, I know this is long distance. Could you just place the phone next to the speaker? Wow. And, and let me listen to the game, which I did. I said, absolutely. I said, I can't monitor it. I'm just going to lay it down. And then when the game's over, I'll come back and hang up. But that was how how closely Georgia fans were wanting to follow their team. Wow. Another part of the <laughs> equation, before I got the uh, the radio job, I was working in a men's clothing store in downtown Athens. And um, I had actually worked at a men's clothing store at, at, uh, in high school. So I had some experience so that's how I got that job and um, there were five guys that were working the floor in this uh, men's clothing store we would put uh, all the games the home games there were five they played 10 back in those days so you had five home games and they would put those names in a hat and you got to draw each guy got to draw a game that you got to go to and not work that day the other four you had to stand in the store. They they would open the doors. It was on uh, the broad, uh, I forget the name of the street, but it was literally like uh, a block from campus. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you could hear the roar of Sanford Stadium. It was well within earshot. That was painful. <laughs> painful. Those four games to stand there at the door, nobody was buying anything. The store was dead. But we we had to be there. It, it was mainly pre-game and post-game to, right. to take care of yeah. you know the the spectators as they were coming and going to the stadium. But that was a uh, that was super painful. I mean the the pay was nice, but oh, uh, that, you talk about torture. I was about to say that torture. is that is an unusual form of torture. Yes, that that, that that's cruel and unusual. But that's those, what that was. Those days in Athens, I was there six years, four years in school, and then we stayed two years after I graduated. So those six years. I mean, you got to remember, guys, I was there when, in fact, have a video in my library at home that I can't see because it's three-quarter inch, <laughs> but it is the last Georgia game played in Sanford Stadium before they enclosed where the railroad tracks are, that east end of the stadium, yeah. um, and I, I got, you know, just shot as much as I could from the west end zone shooting back to capture 
that angle and that perspective, knowing that it wouldn't exist after that season. We'd come back the next fall. And it was enclosed. And it would be, you know, all, all enclosed. So I was sort of jumping ahead, but when I did get into television, um, I was covering Georgia from 76 to 82, which thankfully placed me in the heart of the run for the national championship. So, And that kind of leads to my next question. So you do your time in Athens, Mm -hmm. and how on earth did you find your way to the Fountain City? And, you know, you end up being kind of like the voice of that, generation of bulldogs down here and even though you know making a run to the national championship in 1980 in new orleans remember joe corson the guy that got me the radio job well yeah. he went to tifton and, and started working for the georgia extension service and he worked with walb tv down there mm-hmm. and so he called me up a couple of years into my uh radio gig and he said i know you want to get into tv and i know you want to get into tv sports but he said they're looking for a photographer at WAOB. I know the news director, and I, I can get you an interview if, if you're interested. But it was shooting, and I never realized until re- much later how crucial learning how to shoot would be. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I went for the interview and, and actually took the job and – before I accepted the job, I'd actually come to Columbus to do an interview here for a TV reporter's position. This was in this the summer, about July of 1976. Dick McMichael was the um, anchor and the news director. So I come in to interview for this, this reporter's position, and um, he put me in the studio, and, and I read some teleprompter, and, and which was, you know, not a, not a problem. Could do that. No problem. Then he gets on the intercom and he says, hey, Phil, we've got the uh, presidential election coming up between Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Brain freeze. Uh, what am oh. I going to say? I mean, granted, I was coming to be interviewed for a news reporter's position. I should have, that should have been expected, but it, it threw me a curve. And so, I babbled on, um, it seemed like, uh, you know, for a couple of minutes, making probably absolutely no sense. <laughs> and so he, um, Dick finally cut in and he said, okay, that, that, that's enough, Phil. Uh, let me ask you another question. How do you think the Georgia football team's going to do this fall? Here we go. And boom on target. <laughs> <laughs> so five minutes into that soliloquy. <laughs> He called me into his office and he says, you know, Phil, I really think you're better suited for sports than news. And I had to agree with him. That makes two of us, right? <laughs> and so so I didn't get the job. A guy named Steve Beverly that you know yes. who's been here. The TV uh, news coach. A, uh, just a dear, dear friend of mine. He got that job. And so uh, so that I went to Albany, got the, was hired there as a news photographer the interesting about I was only there two months because Dick did tell me, he said, I think I'm going to have an opening in sports later this year. I'm going to keep your card. While I was in Albany for those two months, I was taught how to shoot a 16 millimeter film camera by a guy named Sam Smith. 
Sam stayed as the chief photographer at that TV station, WALB, for over 50 years. Wow. Sam knew film inside out. He knew the cameras. He could teach you intricate details about a camera that you just weren't going to learn on your own. And so even though I was only there two months and probably the most... um, the, the, the dumbest thing I did in those two months was shoot a sports interview for their sports director. Uh, his name was Ducky Wall. Ducky was there forever as a, as the yeah. sports director at WAOB. What a great TV name, Ducky. Yeah. yeah. A great TV sports <laughs> it would go over great here, especially. <laughs> Get an AFLAC sponsorship you and you're off and running. <laughs> yeah. But I, I went to Darty High School to shoot an interview with the, the head football coach at Darty uh, for Ducky. And, um, and shooting a film camera, you – you had the piece of ground glass in the very middle as you were looking through the eyepiece and you would turn the f-stop wide open so that you could focus you'd zoom in focus pull back out and then close the f-stop back and if you're shooting outside you're going to pretty much almost close the f-stop down to a 16 which is barely open right it's so sunny oh no i Forgot that last step. No. Oh boy. The film. Uh-oh. The film went through the processor and came out white, <laughs> clear. Uh-oh. I mean, no! I mean, you couldn't see anything. It was just. It was solid, clear. It, it, it overexposed like crazy. So. Oh my gosh. We had to go back and re- uh, reshoot the interview. Hey, it coach. taught me a great lesson. I never did that again. Fair. But um, because when I a, a few months later, I did get a call from Dick and. Um, and I turned him down. Really? And you might think, that was stupid. What? <laughs> this is a sports job you've been waiting on. This is news to me. But the news director at WAOB, his name was Jim Davis. Uh, I lived in his home for a week because we were trying to find a place. Mm-hmm. My wife, Judy, was pregnant with uh, our son, Scott. And so we had moved from Athens. We were moving from Athens to Albany, and he found us a brand new townhouse to live in oh wow it had brown chocolate brown shag carpet (laughs) (laughs) do y'all even know what shag carpet my parents talked about it yeah (laughs) yes i know this is peak 70s we're talking this is amazing yeah so so we were we were tickled thrill shadowwood that was the name of the apartment complex shadowwood apartments so um the guy was just so good to me and so two months into, you know, um, into that situation, I wasn't under contract or anything. But uh, out of the goodness of my heart, I, don't, I didn't feel like I could turn around two months later and say, Jim, you've treated me nice, but I've got a better gig. I'm gone. So I, so I told Dick no. And then I called my dad and, and was telling him about the conversation. And he said, well, well, what was Dick offering you? What was the job? I said, well, it was number two sports guy. And uh, so you'd be on the air, right? Well, yeah. Well, are you on the air in Albany? I said, no. And there's really no future for me to have done that. And he said, and and it's sports, and you like sports. And I said, yeah. He said, look, go in, talk to the news director, and explain to him. Just just let him know here's the opportunity that that I'm facing. And so uh, I did, and Jim was just – 
so understanding. And he said, Phil, in this business, you will learn. You, you have no control over the timing of how things are going to happen. And when they do, sometimes it's awkward, might feel uncomfortable, but you got to take an opportunity. If it's a good one in this business, that's just what you do. So he had no Ill, Ill will, ill feelings toward me. I called Dick up praying, oh, please, I hope you had hired somebody else. <laughs> right. And he said, no, I, I haven't. So we moved here in the fall of 1976 after only a two-month stint. So that started my sports c- career here at WRBL. In, and, in fact, our break room used to be where the film processor sat when I first here. Okay. And Carlos Williams, who is still here. Uh, you know, he, Another legend. He An does, institution here at WRBL. He does the play, the you know, athletes game of the athletes of the week. He goes out and does those. Carlos processed the film for us, and 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 uh, he's been here. He came shortly after I did, and he's been here ever since. I I left and came back. Right, but but we did shoot film when I first you know came here. Another uh, rather difficult um, moment of realization was here is a Georgia Bulldog through and through. Mm-hmm coming to the doorstep of Auburn University (laughs) (laughs) and knowing that on Tuesdays during football season, you would be expected to be at Auburn at their news conference, interviewing their head coach about the game coming up. And back in those days, Georgia was recording theirs and would put it on a bus and it would get here on Thursday. So I had to wait for it. Couldn't you couldn't drive up there and get back uh, in the same day? They mm-hmm. the the logistics back in those days didn't allow that. So so you basically would always be at Auburn. And um, Doug Barfield was the head football coach at Auburn back in those days. Uh, not a fantastic coach, mm-hmm. but a great guy. And he treated me. I mean, I was learning how to do this. This was my first you know TV gig. And he was very gentle and kind and, and understanding. Uh, and, I, and, of course, following him, Pat Dye came in. And so, um, and that was, uh, those were some incredible times. But it, but it also allowed me over that six years from 76 to 82 um, to, to, to be immersed in the, uh, the, the three seasons that Herschel played at Georgia, wow. 80, 81, and 82. And I, I actually got out of sports in the fall of, of his last year at Georgia. So, um, and and over the course of, you know, my career in sports and still following it, even though I've been in news, um, and, I, and I, I know that Bo Jackson was some fine football player and a lot of Auburn folks will, will tell you you know, he's right up there with Herschel, but I, I just got to tell you, I've never seen anybody. And, and to be able to have seen it from the perspective of being on the sidelines and having him run toward you and past you um, with the power that he did, I, I was just in awe of the guy. And um, I, I kept thinking, surely there will be another Herschel come along. Sure. I mean, you just think, okay, surely. And there have been some incredible running backs, but, you know, and as Vince Dooley will tell you, you know, there was, there's only one Herschel. But he, he, 
if you if you have a chance and you've maybe you're I don't know who the audience is that listens to this, <laughs> but if you are not of the Herschel era, please get on YouTube, go back and look at the highlight, then and you'll find them of uh, a guy that was not only would run over you as he proved <laughs> that he could do in his first touchdown at, at Tennessee, run comp- just smack over somebody, run through somebody, yeah. but could r- outrun a defender who had an angle on him mm-hmm. and would just find that extra, you know, gear and and run those 80 yard. And those are the things that, that in my mind's eye, I still – wish you could see in this day and time would be those 75 and 80 yard runs that Herschel, you know, was a manufacturer of. I mean, he just, you know, was, I'm grateful. I'm very grateful to have covered sports during a time when I could, you know, actually go to the games and, and I've got my own highlight reels that nobody else has that's sitting, you know, at home on tape. I can't even look at (laughs) three quarter inch. (laughs) We got to find a way to get those digitized for you. Phil, so when you come here to the Fountain City as a sports anchor, though, uh, was this place always kind of a hotbed for high school talent? Because there, there are times where I, I, Jack and I will look back at some of the talent that gets to go to the SEC or the next level, and we're just pretty much amazed. This next signing day is going to be another example that we have guys going to Alabama, Georgia, all these Power 5 SEC national uh, championship contending programs. What do you remember most about covering like high school sports in the Fountain City? One of the big... Um differences that I saw between where I played high school ball and coming here is and and I have some wonderful incredible memories from from high school in fact I'm working on a I stole a sports story from you guys oh thanks and I appreciate that I'm working on it now about the the Taylor County Lady Vikings that's gonna be great I can't wait to see from 1967 to, to 72 Five consecutive state championships, That's, 132 consecutive wins. That come on, 132 wins does not compute. <laughs> so, um, but the the one of the ladies that played ball on that team has written a book about about that incredible streak. Uh, Bunny F- uh, Fuller Harris and Bunny. Um, in reading her book, it's actually made me, I've even told a teammate of mine from 50, over 50 years ago now, I said, you know, Tommy, he, his name is Tommy Bowers, and he lives up in uh, Nashville, outside of Nashville, and I told him, I said, after reading Bunny's book, he, I said, I, I think I might write a book about our season. We, My senior year in high school, Lafayette High School Ramblers, we were called, we went 11-1. and one. We won 11 consecutive games and lost to Gainesville in the playoffs. The best high school team in my high school's history. My dad played football there. Um, every year, I will go to the to the scores and follow my high school team just to see. Well, maybe, maybe this is the year. You know that that a, a team will click like we did back in 1969. Mm-hmm. But um, the the um, the way that small towns gathered to support their football teams and basketball teams, and then I came here, and everything is so splintered because of of the number of schools. There's a lot of high schools. You got a schools. dozen schools. I mean, literally all within a 
fairly, you know, eleven schools in Muskogee County. It's yeah. crazy. And and so you're you're splitting the talent among those schools, and and uh, so that was a that was a challenge for any coach to be able to, you know, create that powerhouse program that year after year you could count on. And and of course it 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 did happen. It well, and, and this y'all will laugh at this. I remember. Uh, Bobby Howard, who went on to become, you know, the most incredible high school baseball coach in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was coaching at Kendrick uh, back in the day when I was covering him. Um, Grady Elmore, who came to the station yesterday, he's being inducted into the Chattahoochee Valley Sports Hall of Fame in February. That's amazing. And Grady was the head football coach at Hardaway. And I was I was telling him when he was sitting at my desk yesterday, I said, I remember driving to Warner Robins to cover you guys in a game and I wasn't sure I could get there and get back and and get it on the air because that's a, that's you know so that's a hike. Drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I I rolled the dice and I said I'm going to do it. I'll only be able to stay for the first half. And and went over there, got it and and Hardaway was leading up until the end of the game and I was trying to hear it on the radio as I was driving back and lost signal, didn't realize until I got back to the station and they said Hardaway ended up losing, but Dang. I because I thought because I had some good highlights from the first half from them, but uh, you know from those years and from those coaches, um, I think of uh, Pig Davis at Columbus High School. He sent I think three brothers, if I if our memory serves me, and hey, it's almost seventy years old, so <laughs> uh, who kicked for Alabama? I mean, wow! Think think of that dynasty of kickers all coming from. Columbus High School here. Um, uh, Dan Camp, he was a baseball coach at Glenwood. I don't know how many state championships that he was responsible for during his tenure, but a phenomenal high school baseball coach at Glenwood. And uh, Joe Sparks, y'all are familiar with Jay Sparks, yeah, you know, yeah. at, at CSU. This was his dad, who was an incredible coach here uh, back in the day when I was covering. So, um, but I, but I do feel like that this area has, um, a built-in, um, disadvantage just because of the size, which then, you know, carves up, uh, the talent and, and for you to be able to do like what Carver has done, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this year, um, it's, it's a remarkable feat in this town to, to be able it's to. It's a lot harder. Yeah, it is. And I, I think any coach will tell you that. If you were to take an all-Columbus team and put them on one football team, that's a that's a maybe, dangerous monster. Maybe the best yeah. team in the state. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Now, yeah. That's a crazy, crazy mm-hmm. squad. But I definitely have to agree with you. Jack, go ahead. So, let, let we as we get towards the end of your tenure here in Columbus, so WRBO wasn't the only station that you – um, worked for you also worked for what is now WLTZ back then it was WYEA mm-hmm. you were the sports director over there tell us about your time there and more importantly you have to tell us about the time the special you did for the 1980s Sugar Bowl which <laughs> I, I love this story well the I was here for a couple of years and um, back in those days you had VHF and UHF televisions uh, sets mm-hmm. and and if you were uh, VHF, you know you were easily uh, accessible. Yeah. yeah, 
it was pre-cable, so there weren't cables. So you you were able to to pull the stations in using your antenna on your house. The, and so to go to a UHF, which required a different type of antenna to connect to your TV to to be able to dial the UHF station in, mm-hmm. was considered suicide in this business. <laughs> you don't do that. Gotcha. You don't go from a V to a U. But a gentleman by the name of Bob Lee was the general sales manager at Channel Nine. He went to become the general manager at Channel 38 and called me, and he said, um, we have Al Fleming as our anchor, Penny Lee as our weather uh, caster, and we want, would you consider coming to, to be our sports guy? And at the time, Aflac owned WIEA. Yes. And so they made an attractive offer. I had two two kids um, early in my career, yeah, and I thought uh, after especially looking at, I was going to get my own camera, my own car, and a, and a hefty pay raise. You got me, seemed right? Like, seemed like a no brainer. Moved over there, and within probably two months of taking the job, to primarily work for him. The station that he had left to come to 38 was Channel 9, and their general manager left, and they hired Bob to come back to Channel 9 because he had been the general sales manager there, and I couldn't blame him. But the gentleman that I had dealt with and had negotiated with was suddenly, after two months, back across town at the you know a, competi- a competitor station. So, um, but I... Uh, we had a great news team and sports team. Well, sports team was basically me, but a great, <laughs> a great back in those days, it was not a two person sports. It was one, but um, a, a good news, uh, a group of news people. In fact, um, you know, during the, this was a, would have been 1979, 80, 81, right in that stretch. Um, it was producing uh a quality newscast that was definitely competing with Channel 3 and Channel 9, uh, won the Associated Press Award for, you know, uh, best television news station for this size market. That's amazing. I mean, that was a that was an unheard-of achievement Big for deal. a small group, you know, station the, the way that we were. But it, it was a testament to the type of commitment to, to covering news and sports. And so um, it was during that time um, that I, while I was there that Herschel was, you know, came on the scene from Wrightsville. He's a freshman and does what he did as a freshman. Um, how he didn't get the Heisman that year, <laughs> I'll never understand. Because you don't give it to Heisman's back. You don't give it to freshmen back in the day. So. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was it. That was that was it. Which was only... a silly, silly rule. I'm yeah. glad they've gotten rid of that. But, um, so we got down to the end of the season. And, of course, you know, the matchup between Georgia and Notre Dame was going to happen in the Sugar Bowl for the national championship, uh, undefeated. Uh, and I made a pitch to management. I said, I will do a one-hour special. Now, again, this was me and a photographer. That's That was the sports team. The guy's name was Nick Nicholson. And uh, they said, uh, okay, but uh, you'll have to drive to South Bend 
and do the interviews and drive back. We're not going to basically put you up if you want to drive 16 hours up there and then turn around and come back. So I wow. said, I don't care. <laughs> I love it. I, I love wanted it. to do it. I, and, and so uh, we left on a Thursday night about 8.30 after the 6 o'clock news and started driving to South Bend. And the news conference was scheduled for 11 the next morning. Oh, Lord. As we start driving north, uh, first thing we did was we pulled off Interstate 75 in downtown Chattanooga. And Nick, uh, Nick was saying, Phil. We're driving all night. What are you stopping for? Anybody want to guess what we stopped for? Uh, Donuts. Of course. <laughs> I knew where the Krispy Kreme was in Chattanooga. Ah, that's where that Northeast Georgia and <laughs> Phil Scoggins is powered by Krispy Kreme donuts for everyone at home. Complete sidetrack right now. That Phil brings in Krispy Kreme donuts on the regular for the newsroom just because. Like, no rhyme or reason behind it. Just cause, and it's just a glorious, glorious thing. Great for great for morale. Terrible for your waistline <laughs> and your teeth, but it's well, wonderful every time he does. I mean, if you if you trying to lose weight, WRBL is not the place you want to be. No, because no, 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 we no. just have sweets all the time. Well, the the the, the that's another great background story. for that one. Real fast is Don Baker, who who rest his soul, passed away a few months ago, but he was at Golden Donut. He was he was uh, one of the managers at the Krispy Kreme on Macon Road that doesn't exist now but it uh, and I was a frequent customer and <laughs> and I was the sports guy on channel 38 and so I was in there so much he said Phil you got to do uh, a commercial for me and I said absolutely you don't have a more faithful loyal customer than me shot the commercial and he said what do I owe you and I said Don just let me come and get some hot ones from time to time. <laughs> Best deal I ever cut in my life. For years, the guy. It was embarrassing. It I was mean, amazing, though. It was embarrassing. For you to be able to pull that kind of deal off, I want Phil Scoggins as my agent. That's amazing. So getting back to, we go through Chattanooga, heading to South Bend. It starts, it, it got cold. It was 30 below nope. by the time we got to South Bend. You, nope. What? Nope. Nope. We had to pour co hot coffee on the gas cap <laughs> to put the gas in the tank. It was that cold. My so, Lord. so because of the of, of the snow and the weather conditions, they postponed the news conference from eleven to one. Mm -hmm. So that gave us a window of time. We were thinking that we would get a workout, get the team outside uh, the Irish on on the field uh, doing a practice. They had to do it in a sort of a gymnasium kind of place, and not the kind of B roll you're looking for. Right. But it allowed us to do some stand ups in the snow, which was great contrast for you know, Athens. So, so we went through and of course you had all of the Atlanta media. They were flying into Chicago and driving over, which is why they were having to postpone it to give them time to get there. And so Nick and I, we knew all we were going to do was drive back. So we weren't in any hurry. So we waited until the end, everybody was finishing up, wrapping up. And we went up to Dan Devine and said, you know, coach, uh, we're from Columbus, uh, doing a, a special, 30 minutes will be on you and your guys and 30 on, on Vince Dooley and the dogs. And he sat there, the, the room cleared. He gave us probably a half hour interview, just one-on-one wow. -on -one. with Dan Devine. And he was like a granddad. <laughs> 
and he had a rep- he could have a reputation for being mean with the media and sure. having an attitude. Mm-hmm. None of that. So complimentary of Georgia, of their team, of of Herschel, of Vince Dooley, and just we we couldn't have asked for a better treatment from him and and from his players. They were there to do the interviews. We hit a steakhouse after it, uh, and and literally drove straight back. Got into Columbus at ten o'clock Saturday morning, so we left Thursday night at eight thirty and got back into into Columbus at at ten o'clock on Saturday. So, so we got the Notre Dame in the can. Yeah, we hit, we made arrangements to get up to Athens, and of course, do what we were going to do with uh, with Vince and and um, Coach Dooley and all, all the players up there, and Buck Ballou and Herschel and. And while I was up there, uh, of course, you try to figure out the local connection. And uh, and because I was a kicker in high school, yeah, uh, I w- my mind drifted to the the guys who were doing the kicking, and and there was a snapper, a walk on snapper from Hardaway named Tommy Nix, and so I did an interview with Tommy. He had he, he was a snapper for not only extra points but field goals and punts, so clearly he he, he knew what he was doing and and did it well. And uh, so I did an interview with Tommy, and we come back and I'm I'm putting this hour long special together that was going to air just you know shortly before the the game. And so as I'm editing it, I get a phone call from a lady and she said. You know, Mr. Scoggins, would, would you could you tell me when your special's going to air? And I told her, and and she said, "Well, you interviewed my son, Tommy, and and I would just we just want to be sure that we you know are, are watching when whenever it's going to air." And uh, so I told her, and and she said, "Well, I guess we'll see you in New Orleans." And I said, "No, ma'am." I said, um, "I didn't even put in credentials to go cover the game." I said, I, "I've really put." A lot into this special and I said I'm just gonna watch it at home on TV and so she hung up and about 30 minutes later she called me back she said what would you say if I told you I had you two tickets to the Georgia Notre Dame Sugar Bowl game on New Year's Day 1981 all you got to do is promise. I said, how much are they she said I'm gonna give them to you but you gotta promise you'll use them I went home and talked to my wife, and she said, Phil, call your dad and tell him y'all are going to New Orleans because my dad was born. He's a New Year's baby. He was born on January 1st, and in 1981, that was his 50th birthday. Oh, my gosh. We go to New Orleans <laughs> and watch Georgia win the national championship on Dad's fiftieth birthday. That's Happy incredible. birthday, <laughs> Mr. Scoggins! That's, wow, that's incredible. He will be, and I hate to say this because that's how long it's been. Yikes! Dad's going to be ninety-one. Yeah. So you do the math on uh, January first. <laughs> so, so the drought has been that long. Ah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, well, what, you know, I, I, that's uh, an incredible story. DJ though. Jones and Daryl, I mean, uh, uh, Dale Williams were in, this was maybe a couple of years ago when they mm-hmm. were playing Alabama. And, uh, I was telling the story to DJ and he said, um, uh, Miss Tommy's mom ha- had passed, but his sister was living in Chattanooga mm-hmm. and, and DJ said, I've got her number. And so I, I called out of the blue one day 
and I, I explained. I said, you don't know me probably, but when I told her, she, she did remember. But I just said, I, I wanted to talk to a family member and just let y'all know what y'all did for me. What a blessing that was out of the blue, totally unexpected, but, but blessed us with an incredible opportunity to go and watch what ended up being, you know, the, the national championship, a game in which Buck Baloo completed one pass. (laughs) Nobody said it had to be pretty. And Herschel Walker played with a dislocated shoulder. But at the end of the day, you're champions. And still ran for 150 yards. So See, it was a thing of beauty despite a, a lot of that other stuff. When you have one shoulder and still rush for 150 <laughs> yards yeah. in, in the national championship, that's you are a bad, bad man. It's a monster. Uh, Phil, I, we're getting close to wrapping up here. We could do this for another three hours, to be honest. We probably need to. We need a part two. <laughs> we definitely do. Because we had Y'all know make- I'm a talker as much as Bob Jeswald. <laughs> that's, that's the deal. I can... I can I can definitely tell some stories. There are, um, you have your professionalism with news is phenomenal, but there's always a little bit of a twinkle in your eye, especially when we ask you to cover a game. What is it about covering sports that is just, that makes you smile and and gets you excited every single time? By the way, Phil can still shoot some mean highlights and he still (laughs) shoots on the prep zone Friday nights, by the way. We were lucky (laughs) enough to have him as a guest highlight caller and we're like, great, now we have to follow that. That, That's awesome. (laughs) So back to the question though, what what is it about covering sports that, that just makes you smile? Well, in news uh, today, um, the the biggest joy that I get is going out and shooting my own stories. I love to do that. I don't get to do it as much as I used to, but um, to be able to take someone and through your eyes and through the lens of that camera, be able to show them the story the way you want them to see it, uh, it's a thing of beauty. I, I it it. It's a satisfaction that I've not found professionally. I enjoy anchoring. I, I enjoy, um, you know, the interaction that we have, you know, on the set. Um, I'm thankful that uh, a speech teacher back in high school that the Lord placed in my life who said we're sitting around the table, and I was a junior in high school, and she said, um, you know, Phil, have you thought about what you're going to do with your life? And I said, uh, I really haven't. I don't know what what career path that I, I I just was clueless. And she said, think about using your voice. Think about broadcasting, um, which I had nobody in my family, you know, had done that. Uh, so I, I didn't have anybody that I could call on, you know, to get, you know, just to, to just get uh, a sounding board from them. But so, so thankful that, uh, you know, the Lord placed somebody like her in, in my life, but, um, getting back to the, to the, uh, the, the shooting part of it and, and the writing part of it, um, to be able to tell a story with words that then you overlay those images that you shot. That's a, that's a, a piece of art in my view. I, I, I really feel like that if you do your job well, you, you, you craft a piece of art that may only be two minutes long. Now, if you're doing a special, of course, but but basically a news story for the most part is a minute and a half to two minutes long. But I, uh, and where did I learn how to shoot? Sam Smith in Albany, best photographer probably that I've, you know, had a chance to learn from. And then what he taught me and then what, if you can shoot sports, you can shoot anything. Pretty yep. much. 
and you think about you know following a mm. golf ball, following a baseball, following a football, mm. following a basketball, uh, following a soccer ball. I mean, and and the thing that I will admit that I can't shoot, and you guys have, I think I've only shot one hockey game. I can't follow a puck. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not easy. It's really not easy. It is. It moves for everyone too out fast. there. It is sneaky hard. It, listen, it was baptism by fire for me when I when the River Dragons came. And he's he's a hockey you. fan. I'm not the biggest hockey fan in the world, so I was like, please, dear God, help me. It, so I don't see how you do it. I, that that's one sport. It moves. And the puck is so small. Yep. These almost seventy-year-old eyes, I can't keep up. So, uh, but, but that experience, uh, you know, laid the foundation for for me to be able to to do what I do today in in news and and, but I but I learned at shooting sports and loved every minute. And on Friday nights, the atmosphere of a high school game, there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. There, the uh, you know, you don't find that. In very many places, and just uh, even at my age, to still be able to walk up and down the sidelines with the camera, um, I enjoy that. That's just uh, sheer utter joy for me to be able to do that and to come back and know that you've only got maybe forty seconds, you know. So you're trying to get the best forty seconds that yeah. you can, but um, it's it's a thrill for this this old codger to still be out there and be able to do it. I, I <laughs> and my wife will tell you on Friday nights, um, she she knows that's where my heart is. And during football season, is grab a camera and go out and you know help you guys shoot a ball game. Well, as long as we're here, I think I can speak for well, Jack. Do you, you would have to agree that Phil's going to always be part of the Highlight Factory as an honorary member? <laughs> he is like the emeritus president of the there Highlight it is. Factory. See, there it like, is. He is the. I don't, I don't know. Whatever the high, he, he's the president. He's the president. We call him. We call Phil the president around here. He's the president of the Highlight Factory. That's a life. That's a lifelong term, by the exactly. way. The Highlight Factory. That is a per, a permanent position. Like nobody can take that. Well, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, say, and y'all know me well enough to know this, but, um, you know, God has blessed me immensely mm-hmm. with placing people in my life. Um, opportunities like i said my radio first radio job the general sales manager at that station happened to be from my hometown uh it happened to be probably isn't maybe the best word but i'm <laughs> mm-hmm. but i mean you know the it's to me far more than coincidence that you know i have uh really lived a blessed life and been allowed to do some things that um you know a lot of people, because they're not in this business, haven't. This past May, got to go to Washington D.C. It's amazing on, and on the lawn of the White House and report a local Colonel Ralph Puckett receiving the Medal of Honor. It's amazing, um, and the work you guys did there was absolutely incredible. Well, that was, um, you know, one of the pinnacle moments in in my, on the news side of my career. But um, what a, as I have said. Know, what a wonderful life it has been a a, a a journey that I probably need to write a book about and might <laughs> might do that when I, retire I buy that one book day. <laughs> yeah please if you write that book about your high school Lafayette we'll we'll definitely buy it 100 percent 100 times over I'll be on y'all's podcast promoting there you go. <laughs> absolutely uh, you have we, a you have a seat waiting for you before we get out of here though Jack has one final question yes sir so 
Phil, on our show, we always ask our guests this question with okay. the caveat that if we do so, we're going to need your help to pull it off. Who would you like to see in that chair, a guest on this podcast on your sidelines? Um, I'll tell you somebody. Larry Mize. That'd be fantastic. Yes. Local Masters champion. In 1987 Masters yes. champion, correct? Uh-huh. I, I still get chills watching that. Probably the most dramatic single moment of a Masters victory, the, the, the way that it was won yeah. in a playoff against um, Greg Norman. the Australian. Yeah, and Greg Norman, And Seve the, the Shark, yeah. Um, and then chipping in from, from off the green that make, on that 11. Shot, that shot still makes no sense. Yeah. It's Larry Mize, though. And by the way, if you haven't go, gone to see that, it, the full final round of that year is on YouTube. Go watch it. Is I, I still watch it from time to time. It's absolutely incredible. Plus interviews with Larry Mize on WRL.com. But he'll be a guest here on, <laughs> on your sidelines. Yeah, we're going to make that happen. Think about, and this is this is another instance that I use Larry and, you know, not even with his permission. But if you think about his mindset of having hit a shot that wasn't really his best mm-hmm. approach to 11 because he's off the green. It puts himself in a, you know, a difficult, you know, chip position. So, so you have to get over what you've done that y- you, you wish you'd had it, you know, a, a better approach. You could, you know, do it again, do a do over. Um, and, and how much like that life is like that, you know, with us, I mean, trapped around here (laughs) but how that you know we get disappointed and upset at something that didn't go our way and yet the very next day the very next story can be the best one we've ever done if we just won't let the negative the the bad times derail us into thinking that well i'm no good i i probably have to give this up Mm -hmm. you know don't give up in fact uh, we'll do a cross promotion here. As I always say Absolutely. at the end of my podcast, always remember, regardless of what's going on in your life, keep the faith. Amen. Yeah. I listen. Amen. Amen. That well, I, I'm here for that. Phil stick around for a little bit. We got to wrap this thing up. So Jack 21 for 21. <sighs> Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bill yeah. Scoggins for, for, for those of us are the younger members of, of this uh, news station. We're very blessed to have someone like Phil mentor us and be able to pour into us because anytime Phil has a lesson to teach us, believe all of us, we listen and we're even better. And I'll I'll tell you this as a kid growing up in Columbus to be able to work next to Phil Scoggins is a dream come true. And, you know, I'm still a kid in the candy store knowing that I get to work next to him. I've worked with him for nine years now, and just, it, it, it still does not – it still feels like day one and knowing that I get to work next to him. It's a, it's a dream. I never – pinch me. I'm dreaming. I was overwhelmed becoming a sports director for the first time, but having a guiding hand like Phil, I knew I was set up for success. And it's always go dogs for one Phil Scoggins. I appreciate it. It's time to wrap up, isn't it, huh, Jack? Yeah, man, let's do this. This has been a fun time. But, Rex, where can the people find us? Guys, thank you so much for joining us on On Your Sidelines. Always check us out on WRBL.com. All the episodes with video and audio are there. But, of course, if you want to check out the podcast, check us out on Audible, Spotify, iHeart, and Apple Podcasts. Jack, though, we share some of this stuff on social media. Speaking of social media, where can they find us? Yes, sir. You can find me on Twitter at TV. Rex at Rex Castillo TV. You can follow us on Facebook as well. 
WRBL Rex Castillo, WRBL Jack Patterson. Make sure you follow the News 3 Sports pages as well at WRBL, WRBL Sports on Twitter, WRBL News 3 Sports on Facebook. Hey, Rex, ho, ho, ho. Take us home. Merry Christmas and happy holidays, everybody. Thanks again to one Phil Scoggins for joining us. And all, Jack, all we have to do now is line up the 1987 Masters champion from the president to a champion in the Masters. We Not have a high bar to clear. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we'll try to clear it. For Jack Patterson, I'm Rex Cassio. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. We will see you all in 2022, man. Happy New Year and happy holidays. Happy holidays, guys.